Welcome back to Talking Acoustics. In the second half of 2019, I got involved in a project uh, that involved going into a school with a group of architects and teachers and working with a cohort of Year 7 students. Uh, the idea was to work through a real-world problem and have the students work to design a solution. Uh, the school is Dom Ramey College, a Catholic Girls High School at Five Dock in Sydney. Um, in 2018, Habel Architects had been involved in the design of a space known as the Soleil Sandpit, a prototype space to support and enhance the school's vision for a new Year 7, 8 centre and library uh, to enable more student-centred learning. Originally a traditional classroom block, the Soleil Sandpit transformed an existing building into an innovative learning environment, housing a diverse range of purposeful learning settings to enable a range of pedagogies from direct instructions uh, to more collaborative and independent learning activities. The Soleil Sandpit has been very well received by the school uh, and the students and was also recognised with two awards at the 2019 Learning Environments Australia uh, Australasian Regional Awards. However, the acoustics of the space were not ideal and both the school and the architects recognised that uh, further acoustic upgrades were required. The school's principal, uh, Vivian Awad, and one of Habel's uh, studio directors, Fiona Young, had the idea to get the students to work through and solve the problems themselves. This was carried out over three uh, workshop sessions and the students had to work in groups, uh, measuring the reverberation time in their space, calculating additional absorption required, and then designing uh, the physical treatments and then presenting their designs to a judging panel. Now, originally, this episode was going to include interval, uh, interviews with some of the architects, teachers, students, and Viviana Wad, uh, the principal. Unfortunately, 2020 has turned into a pretty crazy year by any measure, especially for those involved in running a school. And I've not had the capacity to get back to the school uh, for follow-up interviews and so on. Having said that, uh, I did have the opportunity to sit down with Fiona Young at the end of last year and I wanted to bring that conversation to you. Uh, Fiona is a studio director at Habel Architects in Sydney with a particular passion for and interest in spaces for learning. She is currently a PhD candidate at the University of Melbourne, researching pedagogy and learning space design to create uh, dynamic environments that engage learners of today and tomorrow. She's also previously held uh, a board position on the New South Wales chapter of Learning Environments Australasia. Uh, and I've worked with Fiona and her team on a number of education projects and she understands these spaces as well as anyone. Uh, she's inquisitive and always asking uh, why are we doing things a certain way and is there a way uh, to do this differently to get a better outcome. So uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview. So can I start by asking you this question? You and I probably learnt in cellular classrooms, with the teacher up the front and 30 kids sitting in desks looking at the teacher and we received instruction and we got on with our work. 
Um, we know that those sort of classrooms work because we turned out all right. And we know that um, innovative learning environments or an open sort of classroom doesn't work as well for some kids. So why would we, as a, as a profession, or as a, you know, as a design profession, why are we heading towards innovative learning environments and open classrooms? Yeah, I, th I think that's um, a good question and I guess, as you say, traditional classroom models worked well for us, but they didn't necessarily work well for everyone. And at, we're at a stage where we're recognising that it's important to consider um, every child in a student-centred learning environment. And when you do things like um, spend time in a classroom, you, reckon, you do realise that every child is different and that they respond to learning in different ways. And the traditional classroom is very good for particular uh, modes, pedagogical modes, but it's not good if you want to broaden those. And that's why ILEs are um, a valuable typology because they open up the potential as to the different types of pedagogies that you can use within them. Mm. So, does, so does that mean that there's still a space in, in a school for a traditional classroom as well? Do yep. you still need to maintain that, that format of teaching yeah. space? I, th I think, I wonder if there's a misconception around ILEs as being the open classroom and that it's all about collaboration, but in fact, ILEs are about diversity and therefore still enabling didactic modes of instruction, which does mean that it is useful having spaces in which you can close a door yep. and have acoustic separation, and in fact, where having teacher-directed instruction is of value. Yeah, and I think that's a great distinction because I think a lot of people, when they picture an ILE or, or they picture an open, a big open barn with nothing in it and an empty shell. And I think that doesn't work very well for almost any, anyone. Um, and and the, the Soleil sandpit that we're talking about is a great example of that in that it's, it does have some open um, sort of collaborative space, but it's also got some um, more traditional, you know, something that, that resembles much more like a traditional classroom with a, a space for instruction at the front and, and kids sitting and, and taking instruction or having presentation. Um, but it's also got a boardroom and it's got um, some smaller breakout meeting spaces. So is that, um, from an architectural and educational perspective, is, is that diversity of space important? Absolutely. Um, I mean, that, that diversity of space, I mean, as part of that project, that diversity of space responded to the aspirational vision of the school in collaboration with uh, the educational specialist that we developed mm -hmm. the brief with. And um, it was based around the types of learning that were desirable in yep. relation to their vision for their pedagogy. 
and therefore the diversity of spaces that enable those learning settings. So it, it is important to have the different scales of space and the different qualities of space to enable dif different types of learning activities and behaviours. So you're taking direction from the leadership at the school as well as their educationalists or, or, or an educationalist that's part of the project. So that, I imagine then that means that this space in a different school might look different. Absolutely. I think, I think we've been in the learning environments field long enough to recognise that every school is different in terms of their philosophy and their culture and their aspirations for their teaching and learning. Uh, and I think it is important then to be working with the school leadership and I guess us yeah. as, as well as any educational specialist who might be part of the project in order to really dig deep and uncover the specific um, needs and requirements of that mm. particular school in order to determine what type of learning space they need into the future. Yeah, and the way I think about it is that the, um, uh, the educational um, desire that the school has, um, their, their sort of pedagogical mode informs how the space, what sort of space, um, how the, what the space is going to be used for and how it's going to be used. And that informs what the, what the actual design might look like or what the layout might look like and, and then what the acoustics look like. So I always think the question about how do you design acoustics for an ILE comes at the, right at the end of a chain after you've answered all of these other much bigger questions um, which I think you've got to answer before you um, can talk about what it's going to look like and feel like and sound like. I don't know. Um, I th yeah, I, you know what's interesting? I think that is the natural process mm. of design. And I don't know if you noticed on Twitter yesterday or the day before I was working in a library which had a sign on the wall, quiet space, and I needed a quiet space to work, so I went and sat there, and it was so noisy. There were <laughs> doors banging. I could hear the JP in the next room. I could hear people talking around the corner where it didn't say quiet space on the wall. I could hear kids crying in the kids' area in the far corner, and I just realised that even though they may have aspired or the intent was to have a quiet space and therefore put the sign on the wall. If the physical environment doesn't um, enable that, then it's not going to be a quiet space. Yeah. And so I guess the point, going back to your question, I think that even if at the moment the process is such that acoustics comes after the understanding, it still helps so much if people understand acoustics yeah. in order to make those decisions yeah. as they, before yeah. they get to that phase. Yeah. Just like I think if, the, if as much of the project team and the client side understand a bit of architecture and a bit of education, um, there's so much sort of interplay between all those different roles um, that if you, have a, if you have an acoustician who just 
understands reverb time and you know designs to a number but doesn't understand how spaces work and how um, the physical space interacts with the learning and all that sort of thing it um, you maybe don't get as good an outcome so uh, I totally agree with that um, because I have had experiences with acoustic consultants who may only ever have experienced traditional classrooms and that's their understanding of learning and that's the, their understanding of what acoustics they need to cater for. And so in those cases, you're actually not um, working towards the same goal and that yep. can make it difficult with that working relationship. Yep. And look, I've, I've been in rooms full of other consultants <laughs> and when the topic of ILEs comes up, you know, that some of them just say, well, that's, that's all rubbish and we shouldn't be doing that. And to be honest, it's not, it's not that uh, there's a particular acoustic bent against it, but that it's probably the same split as if I go into a, a group, yeah, a cafe near home or go to somewhere devoid of acoustic consultants, you get a split where some people say, oh, well, that's really interesting, tell me more. And others say, oh, open plan classroom. No, that's a terrible idea. It's, uh, <laughs> we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, um, I agree with that too. It's funny because I guess you and I have been, um, have a very good understanding of ILEs, particularly with our, um, what's the word? Our involvement with the innovative learning environments mm. and teacher change project at the University of Melbourne but when I, I have spoken to my husband about well or, or he's spoken to other people about my work and my what my PhD is around and he said more often than not people that he's spoken to in his world don't think that there's a place for ILEs. Yep and I know quite a few teachers I mean it's just there are a lot of teachers out there, so I tend to be friends with a few of them. And um, it's not uncommon for those people to, not, not, not that they all say this, but some of them certainly say, oh, no, I don't want to work in a place like that. No, that, that couldn't work. That's, you know, terrible idea. Mm. I, and I think that's um, why the ILETC project is so valuable yeah. in being able to, uh, or working towards getting evidence for the benefits of ILEs because I guess in my research, what's emerged quite clearly is that if teachers don't understand the value of an ILE, mm. then they're not, they don't really have the impetus to want to work in one. Yep. Whereas through the research I've been doing, um, they've actually they've started to understand the benefits of it, particularly in conversations that they've had with students about how the, these types of spaces have impacted on their learning. Mm. And when they've realised that, that the students have really thrived and been very engaged in these types of environments, it's given them the purpose of, okay, I understand why yep. um, and how, and, and now let's try and work towards making mm. this work better. And, and I, I'm probably a broken record because I keep repeating this <laughs> line to anyone that'll listen, but the, um, the schools where, that I've seen where this is really successful is where the leadership of the school 
sets the tone and, and makes it clear about what their pedagogy is, how what their school's about and how they're going to teach and, and the students are going to learn. Um, and I would 100% take a teacher who's engaged and, and works with their colleagues to utilise space effectively in one of these classrooms with a poor acoustic uh, design than the best acoustically designed ILE that I can come up with and a bunch of teachers who don't care or don't understand or don't talk to each other and, and just stand in a big space and try and teach their class German while there's 20 students next to them trying to <laughs> learn French. I, I totally agree with you and I guess that the same goes with space as well because um, that was something else that I saw in some of the case studies as part of my research where um, one of my case studies was a hundred, no, probably at 80% traditional classroom type of school. Um, but in fact, it was clusters of demountable classrooms around a shared deck. And this particular school knew that they were getting an ILE down the track, but it had been delayed. So they had six years in the making to prepare themselves for this new learning mm. environment. And they were working so collaboratively as a group of, uh, or as a community of teachers. Uh, and you could feel it in the students and the learning that they were doing, how engaging that was. Mm. And they didn't have an ILE, but you, you knew that when they transitioned to the ILE that uh, they would be well ahead of the game in terms yeah. of thinking about how they would be using this new type of space. So I was impressed with how far they'd got without having the space. Yep. And you've been doing a PhD as tied in with the ILATC program. Do you want to talk a little bit about what, what your PhD is about? Sure. Do I need to say anything about what the ILETC project's about? Or yeah, maybe um, you can preface that. with. <laughs> okay. So my PhD is part of, as I said before, the Innovative Learning Environments and Teacher Change project which is being run through the Learning Environments Applied Research Network at the University of Melbourne. And it's part of a major ARC linkage grant. And the focus, or what's behind this project is it recognises first that there's huge investment into new learning environments across mm. Australia, New Zealand, and in fact, even in other parts of the world. But there's not a lot of evidence around the benefits of ILEs. Mm. And so first, it's about seeking evidence. And then secondly, it recognises that with all these new learning environments cropping up, that teachers may not be prepared to, or may not have preparation in working in them. Because as you mentioned earlier, just like you and I, they probably went to school in traditional classrooms. Then they probably did their pracs in traditional classrooms. And if they've worked in, oh, from what we know from the project, 70% of learning spaces out there are traditional. Mm. So therefore, the idea of moving into spaces which are more open, more diverse, more um, conducive to collaborative teaching mm -hmm. is a huge leap. So our project seeks to find strategies to support teachers in transitioning to these new spaces. Yeah. 
So, there's a number of PhD students as part of this project, and um, we range from being architects to teachers to uh, museum educators, people who are involved in design thinking. And so we all have different angles, which we're coming in at the main topic. And my angle is specifically around the idea of affordances. And affordances are about the quality of the environment or what it is about the physical environment and how that supports teaching and learning activities and behaviours. So it's about the relationship between space and what takes place yep. within it. So my research is first and foremost, it's about trying to define what these affordances are that support student deep learning, collaborative learning and team teaching. And then it's about how to support teachers to actualize or perceive and utilize these affordances. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, was that right? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so the project we've just done uh, with Dom Rainey to go in and engage, um, this, is, this is not the first time Hayball has engaged in this sort of project. Um, what, what do you get out of this process? Wh why do it, I guess, is the question. Uh, yeah. Okay, um, you're, so you're right, Hayball, we, we started doing this a few years ago and it in fact started when my daughter was in kindergarten and my husband and I did one-to-one -one reading with the children and we both found that an incredibly powerful experience seeing and working with children learning to read for the first time in their lives ever. But I guess for me to do it, I, as an architect, not only was I seeing that side of things, but I was also conscious of how the space around where myself and the child was, was influencing their ability to learn. Mm -hmm. And I recognised that this was a powerful thing for an architect to experience. And so that's how Educator for an Hour program started, where um, by term in term four, I, invite, I asked if it was possible for some of our team from Hayball to, to be involved in the one-to-one -one reading and the collaborative maths activities. And so 10 people from my team went and did this with the kindergarten children. And it was really um, powerful, the conversations that we had afterwards together and debriefing from that experience and hearing the different team members' experiences of what they learned by actually mm. being not just in the classroom to see what was happening, but being part of the learning yep. itself. And even things that you the theoretically understand, it's so much different when you're in there and it's embedded knowledge. And it's something that I know that our team, um, having had these experiences, they take with them and they it's, it's there and they're either they're conscious or they're subconscious mm. as they're designing new types of learning spaces. Yeah. Yeah, I, look, my perspective, I mean, we're jumping around here, but my perspective, one of the things I've taken out of this experience was during the first session when we, when the kids all 
were presented the same set of instructions in one room all together as a group and then split off into small groups and went out to different spaces to work towards this a common brief. One of the groups stayed in the presentation space. One of the groups went into what is basically a boardroom. A couple of groups went into small incubators. meeting rooms, incubators. Um, and then uh, one of the groups went to like a traditional classroom or the most sort of the tutorial room, most, most like a traditional classroom. And all of those groups were given the same instruction. They're all from the same classes. They're all the same level. They're all from the same school, the same teachers. Um, and they all went about that task in very different ways. And the kids that went into the boardroom, it was like being in a design meeting when you're in a boardroom, when we're in a boardroom um, working on a, a project. Um, the, uh, the, the starkest difference was to the kids in the tutorial room. I walked in there, because I was walking around and observing these, these different groups. The group in the tutorial room had an architect up the front standing at the whiteboard. All the kids were seated in rows in, in, at their tables and, and the person at the front was gui totally guiding the, the, um, the discussion and the kids were involved, but they were, I mean, they were putting their hands up to, to give input. Whereas in the boardroom, the, the teacher was sitting back they were engaging when, when, um, when a question was asked, but the kids were totally leading the, the, the meeting. Um, and that was a real eye-opener for me, seeing those different groups working at the same problem in such different ways that sort of highlighted to me that in some of these spaces, um, you have different affordances and there are different types of learning that I don't, I don't think could occur or certainly could not occur in the same way in a traditional classroom. And I think that to me is sort of a, a wonderful example of the benefits of this sort of diverse learning environment. That's just my sort of one of my big takeaways from the whole thing. Yeah, I th there's a few things there that um, have triggered thoughts. And one is that I agree that that particular activity in which there were two classes, so therefore between 56 and mm. 60 students working together collaboratively is something that you could absolutely not do in a traditional classroom. Yep just because of the size of a traditional classroom. Yeah. So an ILE is definitely of benefit when you want to start to team teach and bring bigger groups together. Yeah. Because anecdotally I heard from one of the teachers that if they ever wanted to do this type of thing, they'd end up being having kids sitting in the corridors and yeah. kind of other places that aren't actually yeah, yeah. that great for learning to be doing yeah. that type of thing. And then I think that comment you made about the tutorial room was so interesting as well for me because from conversation with 
that particular architect afterwards made us realise how much space can dictate a particular way of being in it. Yeah. Because he said that when he went in with his group, he had no intention of working in a didactic way where yeah. he was the leader yeah. because he anticipated this being a collaborative activity. Yeah. But when he went in there, something happened such that the kids all went passive. Yep. They, in fact, also too, he said it was actually quite difficult to hear. The acoustics weren't yeah. particularly good in that space. So it, <clears throat> excuse me, it led itself for a didactic mode where somehow he naturally gravitated to the front with the whiteboard yep. and started asking them questions yeah. one, and then they put their hands up one by one and that's yeah. the way it happened. Yeah. So he said that the next time he went back to work with that group, he consciously made some changes yep. about his own practice yep. where he went in and he changed the way in which the furniture yes. was laid out first and then he had to consciously sit back um, and in fact, that's when the children or the students did start to take ownership more and collaborate. And I guess mm. that second session was much more interactive with the yeah. materials to play with. Yeah. And that opened up opportunities. And, and definitely different in that second session in that space. Um, but to me, it was just a real eye-opener that the space itself changed the way the kids were learning mm. and the way they interacted. And um, I, yeah, I think too, what it also showed is that what we were trying to do in some of those spaces didn't particularly suit it as well. Yep. In particular, yeah. the two tight, the two small incubator yep. spaces, which were designed probably more for four to six people yeah. or less, yep. and more for reflective types of activities. Yep. But here we were putting in groups because of the way mm. the program worked. Yeah, yeah, there were, yeah. I think eight up to eight in some of those spaces yep. and it felt it definitely felt to me that particularly the more open incubator space was a very difficult space for that size yes. group for that type of activity yeah yep. it, it just to me i guess answered that you know that question of why why should we be doing these spaces why should we be not doing cellular classrooms is that you couldn't have had these learning outcomes you, you, there, there's certain things that you that were enabled by having these sort of spaces and the diversity of space that um, that you couldn't do in a traditional classroom and being able to engage in that sort of learning I think has huge benefit um, so to me it was I, I was already convinced about ILEs but it was um, it was uh, uh, nice to be um, uh, not so um, convinced in my head, but convinced with seeing it in practice. Mm. It was really good. See, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? That we work on these spaces often. Yep. But it's a big, it's a big difference when you're in there. Mm. Not just seeing it in practice, but actually trying to engage with the practice taking place and inside yep um, so just talking about the the actual project um, the do you want to talk a little bit about the 
aims of the actual three-week yeah, um, sure. three-session program that we had? Yep. So, in fact, this was the first time for us to run Educator for an hour in a high school. So that was really interesting and quite exciting to be able to see that side of things, but also quite different. So the intent behind this particular program was to have a real a strong maths focus because it was about bringing two different maths classes together to explore acoustics but also in a real life context and also to think about design implications of acoustics as well. Mm. So we had three sessions and what was really important in the first session really was to give the students an understanding of acoustics more generally which is why it was so great to have you there to give them the Acoustics 101 and to explain the idea of reverberation and also to share the Sabine equation, which none of us had, knew about at all. Uh, and also that was where we looked at some precedents and that, I think that was really quite useful for everybody yeah. as well, um, of different ways in which uh, you could address acoustics. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second, no, actually the first session was also where they did the balloon tests and yes. I think that was a really engaging way to start yeah, to understand that each of those different spaces has a different quality yeah. for various reasons. So then the second session was very much around trying to explore different ways of improving acoustics in each of the different spaces yeah. with the different groups. and. Viv, the principal, and I had taken a trip to Reverse Garbage earlier that week, and so we we had a whole lot of different types of materials which the students could touch and feel and play with and try and think about how it could be used, how they could be used in spaces in different ways, and um, that was quite a dynamic session. Yeah. And then what the students needed to do was to come up with an idea to improve the acoustics, but not just that, they had to work out um, rough costs to do that, yep. and also work through the Sabine equation to explain the relative difference yep. of this intervention. And so in the final session, it was very much an opportunity for each of the groups to present their project, addressing all of those things to a jury, who included the principal, and a director at Hable Architects, as well as Amanda from Marshall Day, director of Marshall, CEO. CEO of Marshall Co-CEO. Day. Co-CEO. <laughs> uh, and that was really fantastic, I think, to see what, how all the different groups had been thinking about this project and, and then to see them present it, pull it together. But what I thought was really wonderful was hearing the students around me listening to the different groups presenting and to be able to critique Yes. The maths and the acoustics, yeah. or the decisions made of other groups. Yeah, yeah, they, they were a really interesting bunch of um, critical thinkers mm. uh, for uh, year seven? seven. Yeah, year seven kids. I wasn't that bright when I was in year seven. Um, how, how do you, in terms of reflections on how it went, how do you think the the students and the teachers went in? tackling the the task um, it was which was I mean for year seven kids um, 
there's, there's some maths in there, there's some costs, there's some, you know, physically how would you do this, there's um, project sort of management. the project management, there's Teamwork. the inventiveness of trying yep. to come up with something interesting that, that would solve the problem. Um, there was the presentation and there was, I mean, a lot of them did 3D That's computer modelling of yes. the of the spaces. Um, Some of the spreadsheets that they developed was quite yeah, impressive as well yeah. with the numbers. Uh, yeah, it was a really tough challenge. Retrospectively, it was, you know, I guess when you, go, when you do these things the first time, you're not really sure how they're going to go. No. And it's, what's great is that I think Dom Remy have thought it was really valuable and would be keen to run it mm. again. And you learn from one experience and you take it into yeah, another. Yeah, yeah. So we did certainly did try and pack a lot in in a in three sessions. Absolutely, and I think uh, I understand it was at, also at quite a difficult time for the school and the students because they s many of the students I don't know if some or many but they were sitting exams for something else yeah, at that time. Yeah. So they pro they no doubt wouldn't have had the amount of time to invest in this project as they would have liked to, which is even more testament to the great results that they had. What, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably a question. Um, oh, how did they go? How did they go? I guess the, the larger question is, <laughs> how did the project go? How, or how did the, the whole... Um, I think... The, 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 whatever we're going to call it. <laughs> the... the the whole project, I mean... The educator, the experience. I think the whole experience largely went really well. And I, we, we did that survey at the end and you yeah. can see that many, many students there knew nothing about acoustics. Yeah. And I guess as we, because of this thing that students are all different, they all, and we could see that the different groups took it to different levels and explained it in different ways. And I'm sure some learnt more than others. But I know from the conversations that I've had with teachers and students, um, it's really opened the world of many, many people mm. who, in turn, not just about acoustics and the equations and maths, but also about understanding the professions of yeah. design and acoustic consultants Absolutely. and what needs to, what is what is behind a space that it's not just that so much thought goes behind yeah. Yeah. every detail and affordance within learning spaces. Yeah, I think for, a, I mean, I think I would have appreciated as a year seven student being able to get an insight, I guess, into the worlds of design and architecture and engineering and acoustics and, and the built environment, the, you know, that these places aren't just here when you arrive, that someone's come along and designed them and built them and... Um, I really like that. Mm. I th it is hugely valuable to expose students to real-world professions because if you, if you don't know it exists, you would never consider it. Mm. And it was wonderful having Amanda attend that last session as a female CEO yeah. of an acoustic company. And I think one of those survey questions... I can't remember which question it was, but so many students, that was it, what did you learn? And many of them talked about that there's not many female acousticians, was that it? 
or is it something else? Yeah. There's something about acoustics as a yeah, I think that was yeah. Amanda mentioned the um, the relatively low That's um, gender split in yeah. uh, in acoustics, which I, I think the number she quoted was a little low, but we've still got a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so the students that I that I spoke with afterwards were really engaged and enthused about yeah. the idea of acoustics and design after that. Yeah, and I think you know from 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 the research I've read. It really talks about a lot of um, uh, girls drifting out of the the maths and science type subjects in that sort of you know year nine and ten mid mid high school period where they're actually often outperforming the boys but self rate themselves as not being as good as it good at it. As the boys are, and so take themselves out into different um, electives and and stream away from that, and and then we don't have the the women going into the engineering degrees, and then we don't get them in the profession, and then we end up with a you know a, a profession that's not as um, that doesn't ha- that, that lacks some diversity, which. I mean, I think particularly in a design-based profession, which is how I see sort of engineering and acoustics, um, the more diverse um, set of eyes you have on problems and projects, the better outcomes you get. Um, so I think I think projects like this are really great at showing um, students in that in that high school age group what some of these professions are and that they are interesting and you know hopefully something they might get interested in yeah it would be great to see down the track yeah how if this has influenced some of those year seven students yeah actually i'm not sure if this is on the side an aside but you're right about the research around girls and stem subjects and i even think i read in the paper a couple of days ago around this year's HSC results that male boys boys did particularly well in, in certain subjects which I'm sure I think related to the maths and sciences. Mm. Yeah right. Well we've got a way to go. But... Yeah we're doing our bit. We'll do our bit. Well, thank you for your time Fiona. You're welcome. You can find more uh, on Fiona and her work at hayball.com.au. You can find more on the Innovative Learning Environments and Teacher Change Project at iletc.com.au. For more information on Vivian Awad and Dom Ramey College, uh, you can find that at domramey.catholic.edu.au. And of course, you can visit talkingacoustics.com to learn more uh, or to get in touch. Thanks for listening.